Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Uh, we have a tank here. Uh, this is a regular rainwater tank with the chop topped off. Um, Lou George found that down in Lonsdale and ordered it all special. It's a good one because it's pretty spacious. There's plenty of room in there, um, so you can dunk people. Uh, it's also waterproof. That's a very good quality in a baptistry. Um, is anyone baptised in this one? Hands up if you were baptised in that. Yeah, awesome. So good. It's pretty special, hey? Um, before this, uh, we had an amazing construction. Um, it was like a miracle. I don't know how Gavin Garfoot did it every time, but this massive thing made of steel and wood. Um, it was very big in my imagination. I think it was still big. Um, and that served our church for a long time. Anyone baptised in that one? Yeah, awesome. So good. Unfortunately, it started to leak, so that's why we're on this one now. Um, the, uh, the church I used to go to had a really nice baptistry. I was at Unley Park for a number of years, Unley Park Baptist, and they had a baptistry at the back of the stage, really nicely tiled and everything underneath the pipe organ pipes. You get baptised, and there's a little door that you can just slip out the back. That was great. Um, anyone baptised there? Hey, my wife. Um, <clears throat> And my mum was also baptised there. That's pretty special, hey, like many years before. I grew up at Morphabale Baptist, and they also had a baptistry at the front, on, over the side here. Um, but the church building uh, became too small for the church family, so the church sold the building to a beauty parlour, and they turned it into a spa bath. Um, yeah. Um, then uh, I was part of a church, a Seaview Community Church, down near where City Reach Marion is. And we didn't have a baptistry, so um, we did some baptisms in the pastor's backyard in his hot tub. Jets turned off um, with everyone crowded around. And that was pretty special. And then other times we went down to Brighton Beach, middle of winter, um, baptizing people there and just like timing it with the waves now. Um, and that was freezing, um, but pretty special too. Baptisms, all kinds of different baptisms. Um, and there's, there's things that unite each one of those, the common themes across all of them. Number one, there was enough water to dunk a person. That's pretty important. Uh, number two, there was a crowd who were there to, to witness it and celebrate and be part of it. And number three, there is a conviction that what was happening was more than just someone going under the water. You think, why would someone stand up in front of everyone air their dirty laundry, and then get dunked in a tank. Or even worse, in a freezing cold ocean. Why would they do that? I mean, some countries, if you get baptised, you are putting a mark on your head. You are risking your life to do this. And some people will do that, will be baptised, even though it means they might be killed for it. Why would they do that? What is it all about? What does it mean? It's more than just dunking someone in a tank. Well, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray um, to you, our good God. Um, as we think about what it means to be baptized, something that Jesus has called us to do, that 
as we dig into it, that this will be a celebration for those of us who've been baptized to remember how sweet it is to be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. And for those who haven't, that this will be a real encouragement to them to spur them on. This is a sweet, sweet thing. Holy Spirit, move among us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So we've just read from Acts chapter 2, and this is a really dramatic scene. Um, And there's some stuff that's led up up to this. There's two things that are happening. They're in Jerusalem. And there's a bunch of what are described as devout men, devout Jews from all over the Mediterranean world have all come to Jerusalem for this moment. These are people uh, of all kinds of different backgrounds who've given that all up and become Jews to join this faith that is all based around this hope that God will save his people. That's what they're hoping for and that he's going to do it through a special person soon, a Messiah. And that's what they're, they're all united by. And they're there in Jerusalem to serve this God who will save his people. So there's that, that's going on. And then over here, there is Jesus with his apostles, his closest confidants, his, um, his friends. And they will become the sent ones. And Jesus has come to save his people. And he's been killed. He's risen again. And now, as he's gone up to heaven, just before that, he said, stay here in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit is going to come on you in power, and you're going to be my witnesses, and you're going to tell them all the good news about me, that God has come to save his people. Those two things are happening, right? And then, bam, they collide on this one magnificent day, Pentecost. The apostles and the, and the faithful ones, they're there praying And the Holy Spirit comes, like in a wind, a mighty wind, it says. And then um, he um, appears above them as tongues of fire. And then they start to speak. But this is amazing because they don't just speak their own language. They're speaking all these languages from all over the place. And they must spill out into public because this crowd starts to form around them of these devout people who've come looking for this God who will save his people. And they start to speak to them. And the people are stunned because they're speaking in their, in their own languages. Locals speaking these foreign languages. And they can totally understand it. And they're kind of puzzled. And some people try and just flip it off like with a physical explanation. that They must be drunk. But that doesn't cut it. Because they can tell these people are making sense. And then Peter, one of the apostles, stands up and says, Yeah, we're not drunk. And then he starts to speak to them really, really clearly. And he starts to explain everything that's happened over the last few weeks. He says that Jesus of Nazareth came and he performed all these signs and wonders and he told us these amazing things. But then he was crucified and he's not afraid to point it out. This Jesus you crucified by the, at the hands of lawless men. These people, they were devout and they were hoping for this this promised saviour and they totally missed it. And they actually end up guilty of a horrible, horrible thing. They actually kill the Christ, the Messiah. Verse 32, but then, it doesn't end there, Peter says, this Jesus God raised up and of that we all are witnesses. 
And then he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You get it. Get what they're feeling. right? These people who have come to be part of this people who are hoping that God will save his people, and then they're finding out that they've totally missed the point. He's saying, you thought Jesus was someone that you should destroy, so you tried to destroy him. But you couldn't destroy him. And he's risen again. And he is God. So where does that put you? Just imagine how they're feeling. They thought they were in. They were way, way out. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. They've been found out. And more than that, the penny is dropping. Everything that Peter is saying is making total sense. And the Holy Spirit is is working in that moment. And they find themselves in this situation on the outer and guilty and desperately wanting to do something about it. And so they say, brothers, what should we do? And then Peter gives them some really clear instructions. This is awesome. When that happens, he's like, yes, all right. Dig in. Let's get this. Peter says, verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to unpack that all, all right? Repent and be baptized. Let's start with... Baptize. So baptize, the word literally means to dunk, to immerse, to submerge. Like they would say, you would baptize a cup in a barrel of water to fill it up. Just dunking something underwater. Jesus was baptized. He was baptized in a river, the River Jordan, at a place where there was plenty of water. Dunked under. Matthew says he comes up out of the water, soaking wet. Um, And what happened was described as a baptism, an immersion, a dunking. Um, Jesus was all for baptism. In fact, one of his last words to his apostles is to go into all the nations and teaching them everything I've commanded you and baptizing them. That's what he wanted them to do. He's all for it. But why? Why would you dunk someone in water? (laughs) Jeff kind of made a joke about it, you know, let's get the soap out. But that's what it is. We get dunked because we're dirty. We get baptized because we're dirty. Baptism was around as as this ritual cleansing. Um, These non-Jews, the ones who'd come from all over the Mediterranean, who wanted to be part of this people whom God would save, they would go through a process of baptism to become one of them. And now Peter's saying, no, you're still dirty. You need to be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. That's pretty confronting. Some of them, they thought they were in because they'd gone this way. Some of them thought they were in because they were just born as part of that people. But Peter's saying, no, 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 no. You're dirty and you need to be cleaned. So this is just an, an aside that just because you grew up in the church, you were born into this, 
you still need to be clean. Because we are shamefully dirty. And the beautiful thing about this baptism is that it tells us that we can leave all that shame behind us. And that's the gospel. Here's the truth. We have acted shamefully, all of us. If you just think of all the things that you have thought, all the things that you've said, all the things that you've done, and then done again, and done again, and just think of all those things being totally in view of God, like him seeing all of those things you've said and done and thought and done and thought. I should give you a sense of shame. think that, that God knows and sees all of that. And that just like these Jews, they're in Jerusalem, all my actions have, have really been just to kill off God in my life. All of that is in view of God, and we should be ashamed of that. And the consequences of our shameful actions are brutal, but they're justly brutal. We deserve death for it, for the horrible things that we've done to God. They're horribly shameful, and we deserve to be buried with them. In fact, if you think about it, some people are so driven into the ground by how ashamed they are of themselves that they'll put an end to their lives to try and hide it away. But that doesn't fix the problem. That's just the beginning of the problem. Hebrews 9 says that all people are destined to die once, but then face judgment for all the shameful things we've done. So death isn't the end of shame. And it's not the answer, and it's not a way to hide shame. We can't ignore shame. We need someone more powerful to deal with our shame and to deal with it now. And that's what this is all talking about, that Jesus took our shame. Peter later wrote, <coughs> sorry, years later, he said, baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, shame-free, a good conscience before God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism saves you as an appeal to God for a good conscience. How does that work? It works like this. Jesus took our shame on the cross. And then he rose again without it. And now we get to have a good conscience. Romans 10 says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. How good is that? That is the gospel. That our shame that sticks to us, he's dealt with it and washed it away. Baptism is admitting, I am shameful. And there is nothing I can do to get rid of it. But praise Jesus, he has. And it's washed away. Do you get that? We're dirty. Baptism cleans us. Repent and be baptized. Peter says repent. What does that mean? Well, repent means to completely change your mind. And in, and, and in this situation, completely change your mind about Jesus. These people who are trying to kill him off. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 180 degrees. We totally had it wrong. Repent. These people were cut to the heart for what they'd done. They'd failed to recognize Jesus. Even worse, they'd killed him off like we do. 
And now they've realized their horrific mistake and they realize that they are stuck and they desperately need to do something or have something done for them. And so they turn, they repent. A person isn't baptized just for the sake of ceremony. It's a sign that they have been cut to the heart. That the truth of who God is and who Jesus is and what he's done, the truth of who we are, it's cut them to the heart and, and just ripped them wide open and changed them forever. That they've realized they're sinful before a holy God and that he's actually done something about it. And there's this, this really crystal clear picture in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 talks about another picture of what baptism is. It's us being cleaned, but it's something more. He says, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism in death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul's saying that baptism, it's a burial. Jesus died for sin. He was buried and he was raised to life, leaving sin behind. And now we follow his lead in baptism. We die to sin. We're buried. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, raised to this new life, and we leave sin behind too. Amen. You got that? So baptism admits, I've lived a life of sin. I've rejected Jesus, and I want that to stop here. That is dead and buried, and now I'm living for Jesus. That is repentance. Baptism is this watershed moment. It's this immovable moment that you can look back to, a time marking your response of obedience to Jesus. It's crystal clear. People know, if they've been aware of their baptism, the time before it and the time after it, it's a gift to know that. You might say, well, that's cool. That's cool. Like, and I can, I can see how someone who's been baptized after that, they might improve a bit, but you can't tell me they haven't stopped sinning. And you're right. Baptism doesn't stop us sinning because we still sin and we still wrestle with it. Baptism isn't the end of sin in our lives but it's a sign that sin no longer has an eternal grip on us. Sin's penalty is gone and its grip is loosening and we are washed and we're waiting. And this is a really cool bit. And the Holy Spirit is stepping in to reshape us. So Peter tells the crowd, repent and be baptized and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But what's that all about? the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, Titus, he explains it in a, in a bit more detail. Titus 3, 5, and 6, he says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing, the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour. He's saying what happens here, this washing, there is regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Regeneration, it means rebirth, born again. 
Jesus, he was talking with this Pharisee called Nicodemus who just couldn't get it into his head what he meant. And Jesus said, you've got to be born of water and of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit takes hold of a person and makes them new. Start again, reborn, new birth. That's regeneration, renewal by the Holy Spirit. It means he's making us new. He's transforming us for the better. So when someone repents and surrenders to Jesus Christ, and there's no clearer or better picture of it than someone being dunked in baptism, they receive the Holy Spirit, and then he gets to work renewing them. So what's the Holy Spirit doing in there? What is he doing? And why would you call it a gift to have the Holy Spirit in you? Well, he's doing a stack of things. We looked at Romans 6 before. If you flip over to Romans 8, there's a whole great list of things the Holy Spirit does in a believer. And I'm going to share these with you because this is an exciting thing. And this is something that we celebrate and embrace. The Spirit enables us to continue putting sin to death in verse 13. We said we're dead to sin and we're buried and we're risen up, risen up new. And the Holy Spirit helps us continue putting sin to death. The Holy Spirit leads us. We're not clueless anymore. Verse 14, he leads us. We know where to go. The Holy Spirit gives us courage. We're not slaves to fear anymore. How good is that? The Holy Spirit at work in us gives us courage. The Spirit enables us to cry out to God as Father and declares to our spirit that we are children of God. How amazing is that? Totally transformed. Verse 23, the Spirit is producing fruit in us. Verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, praying better prayers for us on behalf of us. How cool is that? The Spirit is using all things to transform us into the likeness of the Son. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and He'll regenerate you and renew you and transform you and make you more and more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what he's working in us. And how good is that? One of the primary tools that the Spirit uses is the body of Christ. So back to Acts chapter 2. It says there, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 41, he says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's pretty amazing, hey? Speaking to maybe 350, 400 people here, multiply that by 10. Peter's got a loud voice, and he's full of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit does something and convicts 3,000 souls. But that word, 3,000 souls, were added. What were they added to? Paul says when they were baptized, they were added to the body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We're baptized into one body. This is a gateway into one body. And this is the dicey part. This is the really risky part for so many Christian believers around the world. Because this is nailing their colors to the mast. 
must. Baptism is saying, I belong to Jesus Christ alone. That uh, I'm not a Hindu anymore. I belong to Jesus. I'm not a Sikh anymore. I belong to Jesus. That I'm not one of these people that just goes through life pretending that there is no God. I belong to Jesus. And making a statement like that can totally cut themselves off from their families. At the very least, they can be disowned by their family and by their community, discarded. But at worst, they can be hunted down and tortured and killed. The countries all over the world, people are facing that, but they are wanting this baptism. Because for them, it's no little thing, because they have been cut to the heart and they've realized and they've asked, what shall we do? Because they know that their shame is so great and they need someone to wash them clean and they can't get through life on their own. They need help. And they repent and they turn to Jesus and they say, no one else. I'm clinging to you, Jesus. And baptism is a line in the sand. It's declaring to the world, I'm not my own. I belong to Jesus Christ. And it's also a line in the sand for all of us because when someone is baptized, it's a declaration to all of us, I'm not my own, I belong to you. That we are all in this together. That we are the body of Christ together. And that's why it's so important to make baptism as public as possible so that we get to enjoy it with you. It's a joyful moment, right, when we see someone baptized because we realize what it means for them we realize what it means for us to come alongside them now. And it reminds us of what we have pledged to, to God as well. And as part of the body of Christ, you're transformed. In verse 42, Luke describes what happened with those believers that were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and their fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers that these people, their lives are, take a different shape now after baptism that they're devoted to the apostles' teaching and to meeting together, encouraging one another, being open, cut to the heart and open with one another and leaning on each other and pointing each other towards God and the Holy Spirit in work, at work in them, being at work in, in their, their brothers and sisters as well. This is a beautiful thing. It's that they shared all they had and that they praised God, that their focus wasn't on themselves or anyone else anymore. It was on God. And it said having favor with all the people, that what they did was different. It stood out. The people saw something is going on here. They were baptized and they were different. Corporately, they were different together. And then it says that more and more were added to their number because they're out there sharing it as well. The baptism, man, it's a sign of a changed life. I was baptized when I was 14. Um, and I look back over my, the testimony I'd written out. It was pathetic. Um, but basically, I got baptized well, partly because I'd run out of excuses not to. Um, and I'd admitted that. But mainly it was because I knew that I belonged to Jesus. And I knew that I had to obey his loud and clear voice calling me to follow him. I was 14, and I, I didn't get the full weight of it then. I still don't get the full weight of it, and I won't until glory. It's like when um, a couple gets married, 
that you see them up there in front of everyone and they're exchanging vows and they're beautiful vows. But you're like, you guys don't know the weight of what you're saying to each other. You're not going to know this for years. This is awesome. It's going to get even better for you. And if you notice, hopefully you've noticed this, being at weddings as, as married couples with many years between your wedding day and then, it takes on a deeper significance for you. And you're desperately praying for these people and celebrating with them and saying, I want to help you through this as well. That's a beautiful picture. Here's another really cool picture Pastor Timon once shared with me that baptism is kind of like a wedding. And we have this, um, this habit as an Australian culture of putting a wedding day off until we're really sure. And like we get engaged and then we'll like, not Christians, Christians get married very quickly and that's probably good. But non-Christians get engaged and then we're going to save up heaps and heaps of money so we can have this massive wedding day and that's going to be the pinnacle. And, he, and Timon was saying to me that sometimes like, Christians think the same thing with baptism, that it's going to be this massive thing, this pinnacle. He's like, no, 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 get in there at the start. This is the decision at the start and it's going to have more and more meaning as you go on. But it's just the start. It's just the start. So like a couple getting married, me at 14, I didn't really get the weight of it. But looking back on it, I cherished that moment. That was a turning point moment for me. And I know I'm clean in God's sight. And from that moment on, I've enjoyed the benefit of being part of the body of Christ. And I've seen how the Holy Spirit has worked in me, transforming me. So who needs to be baptized? Peter's pretty clear on that too. Every one of you. Every one of you. And then in verse 39, he says, For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, calling to himself, calling to himself. I'm going to say this thing, that baptism, like the other sacrament that we have of communion, it's a physical thing. You actually get in there and you get physically wet. It's a physical thing. And in part, it's a, it's a physical reminder of a spiritual reality. But it's also a physical thing. You think about this, Jesus wasn't just a spirit. He had a physical body. He was physically born. He physically ate. He even ate after his resurrection to remind us that the resurrection is to a physical body. He ate fish. He physically worked. He physically slept. He physically was baptized in physical water. He physically died, was buried, and then rose again from the dead physically. Amen? You following my theme? <clears throat> the reason I say all that is sometimes we make a mistake if we brush off baptism as just a spiritual thing, as if it didn't really matter. It's, it's, well, it's just, it's just a physical thing. I've already got the Holy Spirit at work in me. Like That's an optional extra now. Um, 
the New Testament writers talk about baptism quite a bit. But there's something interesting about the way they talk about baptism. They don't really separate believing from baptism. In fact, whenever they talk about baptism, there's just this assumption that if you believe in Jesus, of course you're baptized. It's a spiritual thing. It's a very physical thing too. It's a physical act of obedience and faith to Jesus. So if the Holy Spirit is cutting you to the heart right now, follow, you where, follow where he is calling you. Get baptized. There is so much to benefit from in that for you, for all of us together. And maybe you're feeling like, yep, I'm feeling that, and that's good, that's good. But there are still uh, several barriers that are just too big for me at the moment. Let me give you a case study. The True Lean Kids. So it was last year, that's my niece and two of my nephews, uh, I had the immense privilege of baptizing them. And um, all three of them were really hesitant at first. One of them was petrified about coming up in front of everyone and talking. Um, anyone feel that? Don't tell me, because that would be scary for you to say that. Um, one, so one was scared of coming up and telling everyone. Another one was thinking, maybe this isn't the time and the place. There's some other people and another place where I'd like maybe to do this. This might not be it. And then one of them was thinking, I, I don't think I've got a good enough story. But the more they contemplated what baptism is all about and who baptism is all about, all of those hesitations, all of those barriers just very, very quickly dropped away. That, yes, it's scary talking in front of everyone, but really there's nothing to be afraid of up here. You people are lovely. <laughs> and when someone comes up here and tells their story, no one's out there judging. You're all cheering or crying or clapping, all of that. It's all very, very good. She saw that. The next one. Maybe this is not the time. Maybe this is not the place. There might be something more special. If the Lord is calling you, don't delay. Don't delay. And then it's not really about your story anyway. This whole act of faithful obedience, physical faithful obedience, is telling the story of Jesus and what he has done for you. And that is an awesome story. Baptism is done in Jesus' name. It's for his glory. Baptism is a beautiful thing. It's a gift from Jesus for the church, for us to know where we stand, for us to know where each other stands, and for us to proclaim to, to Jesus and to the whole world that we belong to him and that he belongs to us. So today we've, we've seen people being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's celebrate with them. They are part of our body now. They're ours to cherish and look after and learn from and, and build up and be transformed together. And if God is calling you to baptism, then... 
do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ who came and lived amongst us, the one who would save his people. We thank you for calling so many of us to follow you. Father, I pray for the people in this room who haven't yet trusted in you, that they will hear and know you are calling them to be your own. Father, we thank you for our baptisms and the reminder it is to us that we belong to you. Thank you for giving us such a physical reminder of what you've done for us. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who haven't yet been baptized but are believing in you, that you will clear the way for them to respond in obedience and enjoy the gift of baptism with us. In Jesus' name, amen.